Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning, and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990 and 107.9 The Voice. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, and we have got a great show for you today. Now, I don't know if you've been following the news this week, but if you have, you've probably noticed something. If you've turned into any of the traditional channels, there's really been a couple of stories. There's either been a story about a nefarious meeting with a Russian attorney and some sort of backroom deal that happened back in the presidential election campaign, or if you turn over and look at the financial media, then you've seen stories about the new all-time highs in the stock market, record earnings, and how great the economy is looking. You may also have seen something about the dysfunction out of Washington. You've seen that the Senate Republicans were unable to pass a repeal bill, unable to pass anything to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, and this is after seven years of promising to do so and passing over 50 bills in the last seven years that would have repealed the Affordable Care Act. So why is there that disconnect? Why do we see the market setting all-time highs and Washington appearing to be dysfunctional as ever? Well, Rusty Leonard is a frequent guest on our show, and Rusty, of course, is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, and he's coming up at the uh, quarter after the hour, and Rusty's going to explain to us exactly why all this is going on. Now, there's another phenomenon we've noticed in the market this year. We've had really good returns, as I mentioned, setting all-time highs. There's a couple of indices we look at, and they measure some different markets around the world. One is the MSCI, Asia Pacific X Japan Index, and that kind of is a reflection of stocks in Asia. That index is up 27% year-to-date. However, it's only had a decline. The biggest decline so far through July has been 2%, when the average in a year drop in this index is over 20%. Another index we look at is Europe, MSCI Europe, up 18% year-to-date. Typical average entry year drop in this index has been 16%. However, this year, the index has only been down 4% at its lowest point. Finally, we come back to the U.S. and we think about the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is up about 11% so far this year. Typically, in a normal year, we would see an average intra-year drop in the S&P 500 right around 14%. However, the biggest drop we've had this year has been 2.8%. So why are we having these phenomenal returns in every area of the market all over the world and not seeing the volatility that we would normally see? Again, this is a question we're going to ask Rusty Leonard. Rusty is a chartered financial analyst. As I said, the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a phenomenal resource, and stick around to hear Rusty. But now in the second half of the hour, we're going to move from some timely information to some timeless information. We're going to have Scott Jordan, who's a financial advisor at our firm, Shoemaker Financial. Scott is going to come on, and he is going to answer the question for us, what is the single most important thing we need to be thinking about when we're thinking about retirement? I hope you'll stick around and see what Scott has to say, because it applies to all of us. He's also going to talk a little bit about Social Security. Do we expect to receive Social Security benefits? With all the dysfunction we've seen in Washington and the inability of them to get anything done, should any of us count on getting Social Security benefits? 
Again, that's a question Scott's going to answer in the second half of the show. So I hope you can stick around until Scott comes on because it's going to be information that applies to everyone, no matter where you are in your financial journey. As always, we're glad to have you here on Talk Money, and Talk Money is brought to you by Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. We always say at Shoemaker, it's not about the plan, it's about the results. Let's take a quick break and check on the local weather, and we will be coming right back with Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from The Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. Hi, this is George Bryant, General Manager of The Voice FM 107.9 and AM 990 with a special announcement. If you're an expert in your field, if you represent an organization, if you think you can help Memphis become a better place by sharing your life experience on family, environment, health, relationships, government, home improvement, raising pets, whatever your passion is, give me a call. If you've ever wanted to have your own radio show or podcast, now is the time. We have immediate opening, so call me today. You can be the host of your own show, a show that you own. Talk to Memphis on The Voice, FM 107.9 and AM 990. My number is 901-261-4200, extension 228. That's 261-4200, extension 228. You're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker here on KWAM 990 and 107.9 The Voice. As we said before, we are going to bring in our friend Rusty Leonard. Rusty is a chartered financial analyst, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, and a wealth of knowledge and information. Rusty, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this morning and welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, Rusty, let's jump like uh, right into this. We mentioned earlier that you know there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect when you look at the news and you think about all of the things that they're talking about. The country being a mess, the Trump administration is bringing us down, and then we turn over and see that the stock market continues to keep setting new highs. And I think the S and P five hundred since the election up somewhere in the nature uh, in the range of seventeen percent. So is that fake news? What's going on with this, Rusty? <laughs> yeah, of course, the uh, the rise in the market clearly is not fake news. That's pretty real, and people see that in their 401k statements and 
and just in their investment statements generally. So, yeah, that's definitely a real thing. And it reflects the fact <clears throat> the economy is doing well enough and the corporate earnings are doing really well. And so uh, we're seeing the fact that even though the, you know, the press is making a fuss about how much ice cream the president has on his plate versus everybody else, or whatever <laughs> it may be at the time. Uh, the, the really important the stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. The super duper important stuff. But the uh, <laughs> companies, companies are out there cranking it out, and they're making money, and they're making more money than they used to make, and they're even without any uh, advantages from any you know Trump victories on the legislative side yet in terms of tax you know tax reform or healthcare reform or any of that stuff. They're just getting about their business, doing their thing, making more money than they used to, and the the market's appreciating that, and pushing prices higher. Well, now, Rusty, the story that we've heard all year has been that a lot of this, you know, uh, uh, the gains that we've seen in the market has been based on the thought that we would get all the things done that you just mentioned, whether it was, you know, corporate tax reform or health care reform or regulatory reform or a trillion dollar infrastructure bill. And then when we look at Washington and we see the Republicans, you know, being unable to even repeal the Affordable Care Act, which they've been talking about ad nauseum for the last seven years, uh, it seems like that a lot of this stuff Stuff is being pushed to the back burner. It doesn't mean that we can't get it done, but we're certainly losing some of the confidence that we had, certainly after the election and earlier this year. And yet, as you said, the market keeps going higher. So is it that those things are unimportant, or is it simply that there are the fundamentals that are driving the stock prices? Yeah, it's more of the latter. The fundamentals are definitely driving the stock prices. Uh, companies, as I said, are cranking it out, doing their job, uh, ignoring all this other nonsense and just kind of getting down to business. But just imagine where the market might be had the you know all the Trump programs been put in place, had the Republican Congress, um, and in particular the Republican senators, gotten their act together, and and uh, those those various programs were you know speeding through Congress. Gosh, the market might be uh, really flying right now. Absolutely. That would have been a huge tailwind to the market. And I, and I think, the, you know, again, that's something for us to hopefully look forward to in the future. Now, I've also read some uh, some analysts that were thinking that we have kind of pulled forward some of the returns that we were potentially going to see in the second half of the year. I mean, I think all of us would have been pretty pleased if we would have said, you know, the S&P 500 is up 11 percent year to date. Uh, do you see that or can this continue? Well, I'm more I'm more in the cautious uh, perspective right now. Uh, I think that the market uh, is, you know, this is an aged bull market. Uh, the bull markets don't die of old age, but nevertheless, it is old, and so the risks are are you know leaning against you at this stage of the game. Uh, so we have high valuations. We have an economic recovery that's gone on for more than what nine years now, I guess. Uh, and it's just these are the second. I think it's the second longest. Um, economic recovery and the second longest bull market we've ever had in the post-war period, at least. And, you know, valuations are very high levels. Trump agenda isn't moving through. There's been a lot of optimism, but mainly the thing that's got my attention moving forward is that the uh, quantitative easing programs that uh, propped up stock prices all around the world for so long are now going to turn into, shortly, the, at least the Fed is going to turn into a quantitative squeezer rather than an easer. So they're going to, <laughs> they're going to start selling off those uh, bonds and, that they bought over the years, and it's going to start squeezing the market. That's probably going to happen sometime in the fall. It may happen sooner. You never know. They might make you know cave in the gear sooner. And then finally, uh, just from a very short-term perspective, this is the seasonally weak period for the stock market. Uh, if you look back to 1928, uh, between August and October, 
And that three-month stretch generally yield has, on average, yielded a slightly negative return for the market, whereas any other three-year uh, period you know, that you measure over that 1928-to-now period always return positive returns on average. So this is just a, a period for, I don't know, because people are on summer vacation or nobody quite knows what the reason is, but it is a, a period of time when uh, equity markets generally are weak. So we all those factors line up to say, you know, if you look at the balance of risks and the potential rewards, I think it's probably a better time to be uh, conservative. It's been a fun first half of the year. Uh, Absolutely. enjoyed all that. Uh, but, you know, right now it might be time to take a little bit of a breather and uh, let the markets kind of let the let the fundamentals catch up. Even though the fundamentals have been strong, stock prices have been stronger. So it'd be good for the, let the fundamentals catch up a little closer to the stock prices and get things in a better balance before the stock market moves higher sometime later. I think that's a great point, and that's one of the things that we always point out to people. You know, we think about, you know, the slow growth that we've had over the last, you know, during the uh, Obama years and and look at the length of the expansions, you know, since uh, March of 2009. Uh, And I'd read, I think we're at 95 months now, but the average expansion since World War II is only 64 months. We've come quite a bit longer than average, but the average cumulative GDP growth in those expansions has been 24%, and in this time we've only grown about 17%. So that slow growth is actually a positive now in that we still have room to run. Would you think that's an accurate statement? Yeah, that could be true, because obviously when you have really fast economic growth, that's when things get very unbalanced. Get uh, superheated. That's right, superheated, and uh, people start getting you know going crazy. <laughs> they start acting, doing crazy things, right? But when you have this uh, tortoise approach where you're only growing 2%, 2.5%, uh, you don't get as much of that kind of ridiculous behavior, and right. therefore the economy remains in a better balance and can can extend its, uh, its longevity a little bit you know, long, a little bit further without having to have something blow up in its face. But there are still some risks that are out there, and the the economy overall recently has been showing uh, disappointing uh, data points. So not that they're bad; they're just less than expected. And so if you if you track what are known as economic surprise indexes. You'll see that just in the last couple of months, that has fallen off quite dramatically. And the consumer you know, appears to be maybe running out of gas a little bit. And uh, there are just little, little signs on the edges that maybe this economic expansion is going to uh, start, start you know, not looking even, you know, go from slow to really slow. That's probably what, what could potentially happen. And if that's the case, that should uh, wake up Congress hopefully and get them moving. Because I think one of the things that uh, is keeping keeping those folks from taking the firm actions they need to take it so they don't have the, the fire on their feet there. But if the economy starts slowing down the, and the natives get restless back in the home districts, they'll probably start saying, you know, we really ought to get to, to work here or something, something bad's going to happen to us. Yeah, Rusty, uh, with, you know, I, I kind of tend to land in your camp, too, of being cautiously, cautiously optimistic. This bull market has been long, but uh, I want to get your perspective, you know, quantitative e- or con- quantitative squeezing, as you call it, starting to Which begin I love here. that term, and I, yeah, I do heard too. that. <laughs> I love it. Um, starting here here locally, but what? how do you see, you know, global monetary policy, still a lot of easing out there globally, providing a lot of liquidity. What what effect do you see that having on the the global markets and as well as the U.S. markets? Yeah, that is an excellent point, uh, and that is still happening. Japan uh, and Europe in particular are still cranking it out in terms of the quantitative easing, and that is affecting uh, asset prices, financial asset prices right around the world. It certainly has helped our, our market here in the U.S. Uh, it's all indirect, but it de- definitely filters its way through to the markets. 
And one of the weird things that has happened is that this constant and gigantic uh, quantitative easing from these foreign central banks has caused volatility in the stock market to basically disappear, and in the bond market as well. So we've had very, very little. It's been a, an easy bet, right? An easy ride in the first half of the year. The biggest the market ever fell in the first half of this year was 2.8%. That's the most pain anybody suffered, which is hardly anything. And in fact, it's the, the second lightest decline in the first half of, of a year, actually, in any full year period, uh, since 1995. In 1995, the biggest decline was only 2.5%. But if you go way back to, you know, the 40s or whatever, you don't, you've never had such a non-volatile market where it's pretty much just straight up all the time. Now, it hasn't been, again, kind of like the economy, the, the market hasn't been racing higher. It's just been doing the tortoise thing, cranking it out, cranking it out, just like the companies are cranking out profits. Uh, the, the stock market's cranking out you know, a, a slow in, move higher, but it's, it's just not suffering any setbacks. That's very unusual, right? This is yeah, absolutely. Control. It goes up and it goes up and down, and, and people should expect the stock market to go up and down. And I think one of the things that's going to be happening too, at the same time, the Fed starts its quantitative squeezing. The European Central Bank, at least, is going to probably start uh, toning down, uh, or at least talking about toning down its quantitative easing program. And in fact, there there's concerns that they're going to run out of bonds that uh, that they can that are eligible for the European Central Bank to buy. So there's almost no doubt that they're going to either start buying uh, lower quality bonds or maybe even stocks like they've done in Japan, or they're just going to turn turn the spigot off to some degree or start to turn the spigot off. So I think on balance, uh, we have a there's a risk that the central bank policies, uh, you know, between the quantitative squeezing here in the U.S. and if nothing else, less quantitative easing in, in Europe and perhaps in Japan uh, will, will cause the markets maybe to get a little bit more volatile and perhaps also uh, to see a downtrend for an extended period of time at some point. But at the same time, we have corporate profits doing well. So until that changes, you're not going to see much of a downturn. Well, now, Rusty, you mentioned the Fed, and you mentioned quantitative squeezing, uh, and I love that term. But when we think about, you know, the economy as well, and you talked about this, you know, the really slow growth, the, the tortoise growth that we've kind of seen in the U.S., but still growing. And, you know, obviously one of the things that we always worry about is, you know, what are the chances of a recession? What are, are our chances of this economic, abnormally long economic expansion coming to an end? And what are the risks to that? Is there a risk that the Fed would potentially raise rates too quickly or start to unwind their Four and a half trillion dollar balance sheet, and of course we know the plan for that now, and it sounds pretty measured. But would they do things? Are they the risk to the economic expansion? Well, the Fed is always the risk, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, monetary policy is so important to the overall economy, and especially to the financial markets, even more so than the real economy. Uh, that you know they are always the risk, and uh, right now they do not appear to be uh, threatening to any great degree the uh, economic. Uh, expansion, but they are, the threat to the markets is higher. And quantitative right. squeezing, you know, just like you know, quantitative easing really helped financial asset prices, helped the stock market, the bond market, but it didn't really do much for the economy. That's why we have this very slow, slow growth, right? You would have thought with all right. that, all of that money they pumped into the system that somehow the, the economy would have been growing at 4% a year when it only grew at 2% a year. Absolutely. So uh, the opposite is probably going to be the, be true when they move into the squeezing phase of the, of the equation, where the economy may not be impacted all that much, but the financial markets may be hurt more. So we're going to have to keep our eyes open for that, to make sure that uh, you know there's not that the Fed doesn't uh, blow the stock market up uh, with its quantitative squeezing program, and, and raising rates as well. But right now, I will say this, right now, interest rates 
are uh, in real terms still very accommodative. Right. So when you take take the short term interest rates, remove the inflation rate from it, uh, it's not you know that we're still looking at negative interest rates. So it's still very very uh, accommodative policy. So I would expect the Fed to continue to raise interest rates, and it probably won't have that big of an impact. Gotcha. Well, Rusty, when you think about that and you're thinking about interest rates and we're talking about growth, you know, one of the things that we've seen is, is for one of the first times in a long time is we're really seeing uh, a lot of global growth. You know, we see the, the growth number out of China, the 6.9% GDP, and, and obviously you're an expert on that area of the world. And, and you know, we always take those numbers uh, uh, with a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, not, not exactly giving them, uh, you know, full credibility for that. Uh, but, you know, then we see the growth out of Europe has gotten a little bit better, too. So is that growth just just because of the incredibly uh, easy monetary policy, or is, or is this kind of a real growth story that we're seeing globally? I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, certainly in China, the, there has been very easy monetary policy and and uh, just an accumulation of, of debt. So they've purchased a lot of their economic growth over there by just massive accumulation of debt, which will come back to haunt them at some point in time. Right. Uh, that's not so much the case in Europe. Uh, the growth in Europe is a little bit more firmly based, uh, and it's coming off of a very low base. Europe almost never grows very quickly, but so when it grows kind of at an average pace, everybody gets excited and says, oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> but it still, not, it still doesn't grow that fast, mainly because of their socialistic approaches, uh, you know, to economic policy. So that slows their growth down. But it's still growth, and it's good, and it's, and it's helpful, but it, it has certainly been aided by the negative interest rates that have prevailed in Europe for a better part of three years now. Sure, and that's what we say. You know, it's not necessarily the absolute growth number, but relative to how they've been in the past, it looks pretty good now. Right. That's right. They're all happy, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rusty, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, in the earlier part of this year, it was certainly a big story. And now, you know, of course, Theresa May and, and the British government has invoked Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty. So they're starting all the formal negotiations around Brexit. But that hasn't really seemed to impact the European markets either. Is that are we kind of past that concern or is that something that's just going to play out over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think it'll play out on a, on a gradual basis rather than a sudden basis uh, that it did when the vote first took place. Basically, when the vote first took place, traders were positioned incorrectly, and so that's why the markets kind of blew up. When the vote went against where the traders, how they were positioned, they had to quickly realign their, their uh, trading positions, and that caused a disruption in the market. But over time, what we're going to see now is this is just going to be a drip, 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 drip. And so the markets will be able to adapt to that more more easily uh, and not in such a sudden sell-off type of motion. Now, there may be an announcement uh, from you know now and then in this whole process that will right. push the market off guard and cause a little bit more of a sudden sell-off. But I don't think it, I think it's something that uh, both the you know the British and the European economies will adapt to very easily. Uh, there's obviously going to be certain firms that will be impacted, but uh, there'll be others that will be benefited. And so, on average, things will probably not be much different than they would have been otherwise. That's my guess. And that, uh, to the extent that there are some differences, there's going to be some winners and losers. But on you know the market overall will probably uh, come out not. Not totally hurt by this whole procedure. I really can't see why uh, it's not going to cause a recession. It's not right. Cause any of that any kind of disruption. So corporate earnings should be fine, and overall economic growth should be fine too. 
Well, Scott, I don't know. I feel pretty encouraged yeah, after hearing too. Rusty talk I, about I this. Too. I mean, this is this is some good stuff. Now, Rusty, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to ask you uh, to read the uh, tea leaves a little bit and tell us what are the chances that you think that we can get some of these things through Washington and what that could potentially look like, and, and specifically when we talk about you know tax reform and what impact that could have on the market. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker. Of course, this is Talk Money on KWAM 990 and 107.5. The Voice. And Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, providing estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. Of course, that's Mac Bailey over at the Bailey Law Firm. A great group of people would always encourage you to seek them out. Right now, let's go to Charles Osgood and the Osgood File, and we will be right back with Rusty Leonard. and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securing Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. You're listening to Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on KWAM 990 and 107.9 The Voice. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker and we're speaking with Rusty Leonard, the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. Now Rusty, we had said going to the break, we were going to ask you to read the political tea leaves, which may be a little harder than reading the economic tea leaves, but we wanted to ask you what you think the real probability of getting some tax reform done, would we potentially get that done this year and what is that going to look like? Well, I would think that we're probably you know, going to get something. Uh, right. I mean, obviously, if this Congress leaves town with absolutely nothing, uh, that would be shocking. And, uh, you know, I'm, we're shocked already that they've done so little. I am shocked. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and pressure, I, I think the, the mid, pressure, yeah, if they don't do that, I think the midterms are gone. <laughs> hell yeah. And they may already be at risk. Uh, you know, the House is definitely in play just because of the bumbling uh, idiocy of uh of the Senate, really, it's probably the House is in play because of the Senate's, uh, which is crazy, failure. but that fits with uh, Congress. Yeah, 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 that's the way it works. But I would think they'll get some tax reform done, uh, but of course, it'll probably be far less than what uh, people uh, would hope would have hoped for. Uh, there's just right. so much, so many different perspectives in the House and the Senate on these things. Uh, there's uh, too many senators that feel like they're on the hot seat. And uh, they're just unwilling to take any chances legislatively. So as a result of that, you uh, you end up in these situations where uh, you get far less than you should. Now that's that's not unusual in the political process. Right, the art of compromise has to happen. Uh, but you know, we do. The Republicans have the presidency, the House, and the Senate. You would think you would think that you get more done than uh, what they're getting done. But uh, my goodness, you know, the Democrats. Yeah, and if they can't get health care done, I mean, how on earth do you get tax reform? And I, I think you're right to probably get something. But if you don't have the savings from health care, does that mean you have to have the border adjustment tax? And we haven't even begun to talk about that yet. Well, gosh, there's all kinds of things you could do if you really got into uh, you know, tax tax reform right. in a serious way. Uh, so there's plenty of uh, levers to pull. But, uh, yeah, the border adjustment tax may be something uh, that would be uh, – the revenues from that would be helpful since they're not going to have the revenues from – 
from the Affordable Care Act. But, you know, the, the point I was going to make is that the Democrats had the same problem. The Republicans were obstructionists to uh, President Obama, and they were able to get through uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, only because they had the 60 senators for that, right. that short period of time. But after that, you know, he really wasn't able to achieve much of anything uh, because the Republicans stood in this way. And so now the Democrats are playing the same game. And we get gridlocked. But you know what? One of the things that, uh, at least from a financial markets perspective, gridlock has generally been viewed as a positive uh, for the market. Sure. Whenever you've had you know, balanced uh, houses, you know, when, when you haven't been able to get anything through because of the way the political structure has been put through, the stock market generally does better than when one, one group controls things totally. So. Well, like we so say, you know, we, we, just, we just need to know what the rules are, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Corporations are very good at adapting to whatever it is that uh, Congress will throw at them. It's been shown a year, decade after decade after decade that they always can figure out a way to adapt and, uh, and you know, make their shareholders some additional money. That's, that's great. Russ, I want to shift gears here just for a minute because I want to get your perspective on this while we have you. Um, you know, what would you say to the, to the, to the clients that's been sitting on the sidelines, been sitting in, in cash, they're feeling a little more comfortable now, want to get in the market? We do think the market still has to room, room to grow, but what do you think about valuations? Are, would we be paying too much now? Well, you certainly have to consider that now because valuations are at the very high end of the spectrum. Now, they, they certainly got higher back in the, in the bubble zones of you know, 2000, but we're higher now than they were in 2008. And now what caused the market to get destroyed in 2008, obviously, was the financial crisis. Our banking system is in pretty good shape right now. Uh, there are you know, problems with car loans and, and maybe student loans, but right. you know, those are nowhere near the size of the uh, problem with the mortgages that we had in 2008. So I don't think we have any risk of a crisis from the banking system. But we do have you know, risk from just we're paying a lot for those earnings. The earnings right. are great. Uh, and that's why we're hitting new record highs in the market, but we're paying a lot for them at the same time. So there has been some degree of enthusiasm, uh, maybe over-enthusiasm, uh, factored into the stock market right now. And that, you know, that generally is going to be a self-correcting mechanism at some point in time where those, those valuation levels will come back to a lower level and I stabilize before they start moving higher again. So I, I think that is a risk factor now for investors. And so if anybody out there, has uh, been talking to their neighbor, and their neighbor's been talking to them about how they've been making so much money in the stock market. So they want to just jump in, you know, with both feet right now because their neighbor's been doing so well. And why, why can't they have some of that? Uh, I would just urge caution. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. Well, Rusty, what is what, back over top. what? What is a what is the potential? Uh, you know, the headwind to that story. What's the risk to that story? And we mentioned a recession. Uh, you know, what what is our recession risk? Well. You know, from if you look at the data, the recession risk doesn't look very great. There are many different models that uh, people use to predict in recession when recessionary pressures are building, and the main one that has worked all the time, every single time, is something called the yield curve. And I won't get into the uh, a big description of what the yield curve is because that would take too long and be boring. But <laughs> it, it has worked and it predicted every single recession in the post-war period. And uh, right now, it's not there. It's not predicting a recession. It's uh, pretty far away, actually. That the indicator doesn't. It's not even in the danger zone of predicting a recession. So it would have to be a recession would have to come about through some external factor uh, rather than just what what the data looks like right now. So in other words, uh, you know, if you had some big natural disaster that uh, you know really hit a major economic zone of the U.S., right. uh, warfare that you know caused some kind of problem, or terrorism that caused some kind of problem, uh, those are the types of things. Uh, or Fed policy, as we talked about <laughs> earlier, if they if they jack rates too fast, the quantitative squeeze. 
using turns out, even though it looks gradual, it turns out to be too fast for the markets. All those things could uh, contribute. But from the normal things that cause recessions, uh, there's just nothing there right now that would cause a great deal of concern. But, but the valuation level that we talked about earlier, that still is a concern and something that we, you know, investors should take into consideration. You don't want to be buying, you don't want to be the last uh, person, you know, buying a stock at, just as it hits a high price. So Absolutely. be cautious right now from that perspective. Well, Rusty, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for this information, and I think you've really done a great job of helping our listeners understand that, you know, everything looks pretty good, and we can certainly see that in the news, but cautiously optimistic remains the word of the day. And again, just thank you for your wisdom. Oh, you're welcome. Always always happy to be with you. Have a great time. Thanks, Rusty. If you're just tuning in, I'm Keith Quinn, and for Jim Shoemaker here on KWAM 990 and FM 107.9, The Voice. Of course, this is uh, Talk Money, and we are going to be coming back with Scott Jordan. And Scott is going to answer the question for us, what is the most important thing you need to be thinking about in retirement? And will you even have Social Security? So stick around to hear what Scott's answers are. But first, let's go to Rebecca Brashear and the Mid-South History Moment. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. When Dr. Lemuel Diggs began his medical career at UT Memphis, the city had the highest maternal death rate in the country. When Dr. Diggs investigated the matter, he discovered that in most cases, the patients had bled to death. To stop this tragedy from continuing, he proposed the creation of a blood bank. He believed having refrigerated blood in maternity hospitals would save the lives of countless mothers, and he was right. Despite the clear need for such a project, the university did not have the funding for it. When Diggs appealed to the city, responsibility for the project was referred back to the university. The local community rallied around Diggs and provided him the equipment to open a blood bank in 1938. It was the first in Memphis and the South, and the fourth in the country. This blood bank rapidly became a leader in the processing of plasma, and techniques perfected there dramatically improved the efficiency of hospital procedures saving countless lives. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker and we're here with Scott Jordan. Scott is a certified financial planner and a financial advisor at Shoemaker Financial. Now, Scott, I've been dying to hear you're going to tell us what is the most important thing in retirement. Well, I hope it's not too obvious, Keith, but it's income. (laughs) And it's not too obvious, yeah. (laughs) Income is really, you know, a paycheck is what people need in retirement. Right. Uh, When when planning for retirement, you know, retirees of the past, Keith, it kind of worked where you worked for a company for years, and you kind of retire with a guaranteed paycheck in the form of a pension so they to supplement care you. your Social Security right. other guaranteed paychecks. So uh, those have been largely replaced with 401ks. So essentially, the the worry-free guaranteed paycheck retirement has been replaced with a worry-filled do-it-yourself retirement. It, right. It's been put back on the employee to do their own planning and plan for their own retirement income, and that's challenging, especially in today's environment. Well, it absolutely is when we think about income and we think about yields, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand it's not necessarily a million dollars or it's not necessarily a certain number, but it's how much income you need to support your lifestyle, exactly. whatever that lifestyle is, and that's going to be different for all of us. Exactly. We you know, we work with clients all the time. It's it's a challenge to take that pile of money that you've spent your life accumulating sure. and convert that into income, and a lot of people don't know what income they can expect off of that pile of money. Absolutely, and I think that is a great planning tip and something you need to be thinking about in the planning process. Now, Scott, you mentioned Social Security. I know Social Security is in the press a lot. Yeah, hot topic. You know, Social Security is not going to be there. You know, the scare tactics that they'll use when when talking about Social Security and any kind of potential reform to Social Security in Congress. So tell us the the bottom line, the real truth about Social Security. Well, real truth, Keith. I mean, it is true that the trust fund is estimated to be out of money down to zero in 2035, but that doesn't tell the whole story. So, now, so trust fund to zero in 2035, zero. To 2035, and that, it's that's, over. That's the headline, right? Absolutely. So think my Social Security is going Gone. away. But, but truth be told, 77% of that is collected through payroll taxes still. So that is projected to go through the year 2091. And that's, I don't want to call that a worst case scenario, but it kind of is. It's kind of the worst case scenario, but it goes down, that it goes down to 77% of today's benefits. But they're pretty easy. Not well. They're not easy fixes, but there are fixes to this that can be accomplished to to make that a little more whole. Uh, you know, as an example, just increasing the payroll tax by two point seven six percent would end up, uh, you know, which would raise it from twelve point four percent to fifteen point sixteen percent, right? Or possibly a seventeen percent reduction in benefits would would make that whole right now. And I think. A combination of those is probably what we're looking at, maybe extending the age to get full Social Security out a little further. Absolutely. I won't be shocked at all. You know, I'm at 67 right now. I won't be shocked at all if I have to wait till 70 to get that. But with longer life expectancy, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably going to be very doable and, and and the right thing to do. So I think the important thing to note there is I don't think Social Security is going away. I think there probably will have to be some adjustments at some point in the future, but it's a lot more solid than the media would have you believe. Well, I think two key things you said there, and tell me if this is right. So my worst case is that I'm going to get 77% of my benefits, but that's all the way through 2091. 2091. 2091. So I think that gives us a little bit of certainty. And I also think you're Exactly right. There's some easy fixes. However, they are sometimes politically unpalatable issues that people just don't want to talk about in Congress. And I come back to my favorite quote that I've said several times in the last couple of days from Winston Churchill. You can count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. So when we have to fix it. I think Absolutely. we will. It, it will get fixed. You know, I believe in the American people. And Absolutely. They, they will find a solution to the problem. 
Well, now, Scott, we're talking about the importance of income. We've talked about pensions going away. Social Security is going to be there in some form or fashion. But what are some risks? What are some threats to our retirement income? Well, I think first and foremost, and this is a more recent problem, is longevity risk. You know, this... This, I think, is one of the most important considerations that you have to really look at when you're doing retirement income planning. People are living longer. Uh, if you look at the latest kind of statistics, and these these vary by where you get them, get them from, but I, sure. uh, you know, 65-year-old male life expectancy is 85, 65-year-old female life expectancy is 88. Now, if you take a 65-year-old couple, because married people live longer, I have right. no idea why. Uh, but it's but, one of the reasons I need to get married, otherwise I'm, exactly. I'm in real trouble here. Yeah. 65-year-old couple, life expectancy goes out to 92. But let's talk about those life expectancies. Those are okay. averages, right? Uh-huh, sure. So averages are guaranteed to disappoint half the people. Half and, the people and, and, aren't so, going to make it, right. You know, that, that's basically saying— But the other saying, half are going to live longer. Exactly. So you really—you have to plan for longevity, and that makes it a little more challenging. We're looking, you know, if you're going to retire at 65 and drop dead at 68, there's not a lot of risk to your retirement there. No, you you're probably— going to be good planning. But if we're looking at planning for a 25, 30 year expectancy, to it, it's a little more of a challenge to figure out how to take that pile of money and turn it into income. So I think longevity risk, and I call that a risk multiplier because all these other risks we're going to talk about, longevity kind of multiplies them. I think because, that's a great point. You know, the longer you live, the more likely you are to get affected by these other risks. So that's that's why I kind of put that at the top of the list. And that's the number one that we plan on there. So to retire successfully, have to consider longevity. Okay, Scott, now you mentioned the other risk, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about some of the other risks that are multiplied by longevity or living longer. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn and for Jim Shoemaker here on KWAM 990 or 107.9 The Voice. We're going to take a quick break, check out the weather, and we will be right back with Scott Jordan. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to the leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn in for Jim Shoemaker. And we're here with Scott Jordan talking about risk to our retirement income. Scott, you said longevity was a risk multiplier. What risk does that multiply? Well, the next one I wanted to bring up was sequence of returns risk. Um, you know, when you look back at statistics, so think about this. S&P 500 for the 10 years ending June 30th is up 7.2% okay, average, right? right? Mm-hmm. Average annual. So 
as an investor, I could sit here and say, well, shoot, I can put all my money in that, you know, take 6% off of that. I should I'm going to make 7% every I'm year. Great. I can take 6% off. I'm going to be a net positive. Absolutely. If only it worked that what way. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, the main thing that I'd like to say about that, average returns don't matter near as much in retirement as the order of those returns. Losses early in retirement, I call it kind of the retirement risk zone. It's that that five years before retirement to five, five to years, seven right. years after, losses during that period can have a significant impact on your lifestyle and your ability to take income off of your portfolio. Uh, assets can be depleted rapidly, and then they're not there to grow back when the market finally does recover and hits that average rate of return. So essentially, the closer you are when you're in that retirement zone, your market risk goes up because you just can't take the swings that we would argue are a Absolutely. normal part of equity Absolutely. investing. Absolutely. You know, a lot of... A lot of, uh, of Information out there would say, you know, an an 80-year-old or an 85-year-old is where they should be conservative and not take as much risk. I would counteract that with with right there around that that 55 to 70 range is where I see the most danger. When I run run cash flow models and look at that, right. that's the danger zone. But you've also got to weigh that against the fact that you're trying to grow these assets for a 30-year retirement, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's it's not that you, you avoid the market. We can't do that, right? In a inflationary economy, we have to participate absolutely. in the market in order to maintain that purchasing power throughout our lifestyle. So really what we're trying to do is just kind of live in the future like we're living today, right? Right. So with the cost of goods going up, we have to put our money in places where it can grow and afford us the lifestyle that we've become accustomed to. I think that is a key point, and I think that's where we can really add value as financial planners. And I would uh, encourage anyone who has questions about that, who's thinking about their retirement, please reach out to us at the firm. Again, it's Shoemaker Financial, 901-757-5757. We'd be happy to sit down with you and talk through your, your personal picture because everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. Now, Scott, you mentioned an inflationary environment. So what does that mean? And what is that risk to our retirement income? Well, inflation is basically the rising cost of goods, right? I mean, everybody has seen this throughout their lifestyle. You can buy a loaf of bread for one price back in 1970. Well, now, you know, that that is up A little more expensive, yeah. E- even low inflation, think about this, a 3% inflation, which is Kind of the historical average. We've seen lower than that lately, but if you look yeah, back, right, it's over, about one point four percent right now. It, we've and been it's in really a very low, low inflationary, but even even three percent will double the cost of goods in twenty four years. So double the cost. Think of about goods. what that's a challenge when you look at you know you look at your kind of fixed expenses and what you need your food, your clothing, your shelter, and how that cost is going to rise over time, and how are you going to invest that pile of money you spent your life saving in order to meet that rising cost of living. And I think it's also really important, and we see this a lot, explain to us how that works in the context of someone sitting on cash, thinking they're in a safe investment. Well, think about this. So you're in cash. What What is cash paying now? I mean, 1% if you're uh, lucky. Yeah, so, you can get 1% now, which is really high compared to how it has been the last eight years. And but. now compare that with that inflation rate you just quoted. Was it 1.4? 1. 1. 4. And, that, and that's extremely now, and that's low. That's really right? low and going extremely higher. low. So essentially, you're, you're going behind 0.4% every year, even at that low rate. But Even I, at that do, rate, you've I, got a negative return on your cash. You've got a negative return, so it's you're not losing your actual pile of cash. Is not looks going like down, it's still there, but it's not buying as, as many not goods buying and as services, much goods, which is ultimately what you said is right. important. Income and how does that support your lifestyle? Money is about lifestyle, right? We're using that money to to do the things that we want to do. So we have to invest that money in a way that we can outpace inflation. Gotcha. Well, Scott, one more risk I know you wanted to talk about quickly, interest rate risk. Interest rate risk is big. You know, years ago, Keith, people would 
save, save their money, and then they would invest it in, in bonds and, and live off the interest, right? Well, in today's low-interest environment, Yeah, when bonds were paying 10 and 12%, that was, a, you know, it's not a bad plan. You have to have a big pile of money to do that today. Well, so we talked, you know, Rust even mentioned, we're in kind of a, a rate-height cycle, and and bonds, as you know, move inversely to interest rates. So the when price I explain to our listeners what that means. Well, what that means is as interest rates increase, the actual price of the bond will go down if you need to sell it in the market. Now, the, the coupon's the same. The, the money it's paying you every month is the same. But if you need to convert that bond to cash, you're going to get less for it than you would have gotten before. So the actual bond itself is worth less. But you said the, the amount of money that that bond is generating, the dividend yield that's coming to you, that the, stays the, the same. The dividend yield would stay the same. So in an environment where you're just living off of the dividend yield or the bond interest, you'd be okay in that scenario. You could hold the bond to maturity and you'd be fine. But... In the event you needed to convert that bond to cash, you could end up with a with a capital loss. Now, another thing I'd say about that, de- decreasing interest rates are good for bonds, right? Right. But now you got to reinvest that money if you sell it. Now you're having to reinvest it in a lower interest rate environment. So, so I don't even, lose anything on the face amount of my bond. My right. bond is well, worth could more yeah. than it was. But if I have to reinvest that money, if a bond comes due or if I right. sell one, now I can't get as much income from that can't bond get as, as much I could income have in the past. That. You know, things like annuities are paying out less in monthly income in that type of situation. Uh, so the real risk there is that you're, you're – what we call duration doesn't match your liabilities. In other words, you're what you're Scott, trying you to just accomplish. Got way from, I know. I, I went, went a little. I went a little above on that one. But you, you went a you little know, on the CFP side there. It basically means the money, the money coming in, the money that's coming in from the investment is going to match the money that you need. Outstanding. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for have been part of the show this morning. Great information. I appreciate you being here, brother. Man, I always enjoy it, Keith. It's always a blast. And we want to thank Rusty Leonard as well. Rusty's always a phenomenal guest. And I hope you can join Jim next week. He is going to be joined by Jamie Fish, the Director of Biblical Counseling at Bellevue Baptist Church, and Terry Hurt, a advisor with Shoemaker Financial on marriage and money. And I also want to thank our producer and board operator who always does a wonderful job, Gil Worth, our guest and comment coordinator, content coordinator, Francis Fortner, our production assistant, Eleanor Moskowitz, our compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, and the Mid-South History Moment, which is authored by Drew Johnson and narrated by Rebecca Brashear. I hope you can join us next week on Talk Money, where we will try to help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.